0: This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast, Vic Lombardi from Altitude Sports talking about the changing landscape in sports media.
1: A lot of these big-time athletes, uh, most of the elite athletes, they are their own media entity.
0: The Denver Nuggets.
1: This is the best Nuggets team I've ever witnessed with my own eyes. Is it
0: time for the Avalanche to turn the switch on?
1: I think they sort of know when it's time, and I think now the clock has hit, and they're like, okay, it's time, let's go.
0: And of course, the Broncos. Subscribe. To the Drew Goodman podcast wherever you find podcasts and tell a friend. This is the Drew Goodman podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It's show number 185. And Vic Lombardi, as you heard, coming up uh, in a little bit. Always uh, enjoy uh, conversing with Vic and a lot to talk about because uh, Vic spends a lot of time, as you know, down at the uh, Pepsi. Center, which is now Ball Arena, and you know it takes me a while to remember what the heck to call these uh, these arenas. I have that same problem. You know what? We go to San Francisco, the Giants, as in not my New York Football Giants, but the San Francisco Giants. Remember when it first opened? It was Pac Bell Park. Well, it took me you know a year and a half of going there three times a year to realize it's not Pac Bell Park anymore. They changed it to AT and T. Got used to AT and T because they were AT and T uh, Park for a long time, and now. They're Oracle. And I still, that doesn't roll off my tongue yet. Oracle Park, home of the Giants. I think I, I have to look out, truth be told, sometimes I'm like, what's the name of this place we're at when we're coming out of commercial? And I look out to dead center field, you know, the top of the scoreboard where instead of saying at t now it says Oracle Park and, and that kind of triggers um, my brain. So forgive me when I still refer to Ball Arena as the Pepsi Center. Uh, football this past weekend. Oh, as I said, we'll get to Vic in a moment. We'll talk about, uh, those two teams that are, that, uh, one Stanley cup champion, as you know, and the other one, uh, maybe perhaps potentially could raise a banner for the first time on the basketball side. But again, we'll get to, uh, to that in a little bit with, um, with Vic. From a football standpoint, love the NFL playoffs. We all love the NFL playoffs. Even if you're not a better, you love the the NFL playoffs. If you are, you probably like them even a bit, uh, a bit more. So many close games for the most part last week that surprised some people. Like I think of that game in Buffalo. Miami's running a third string quarterback in there. Buffalo has uh, emotion on their side. They have talent, you would think, on their side. And that was a hell of a ball game. Hell of a ball game, And thank goodness that Buffalo won. And not just from my standpoint uh, because of what they've been going through uh, with, with DeMar Hamlin and he continues to uh, be on the road to recovery. I understand he's spent the last couple of days at the Buffalo facility as they prepare now for uh, their next game uh, in the postseason. Uh, but I have to tell you, I'm a I'm a big fan of watching the Bills play, and I'm a big fan of uh, Mr. Allen, their quarterback. Uh, Not only because he played at Wyoming, but he's just a blast to watch, man. He's a tough guy, great athlete. So uh, I'm all in on on Josh Allen, and we'll see uh, how far they can go. As I uh, talked about last week, I took Cincinnati uh, to come out of the AFC but that game surprised me that that Miami hung in there. Uh, Seattle, they led it halftime against the Niners. And the Niners, uh, another one of my favorite teams to watch play because Christian McCaffrey's there, Debo Samuel, and they're running a third-string quarterback out there. Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant is anything but. And the 49ers t- took care of things in the second half against Seattle. Um I don't think there were any real surprises. Maybe for some of you, the fact that Dallas ran roughshod, that was a blowout, uh, in Tampa over Tom Brady. You can have a great quarterback and not win because you don't have other pieces. And for those that thought, well, it's Tom Brady, it's the postseason, he's the GOAT, they're going to win. They're just not good enough in enough areas. I also believe if Brady decides to come back there's plenty in the tank. I watched the the ball leaving his hand and the velocity that he still throws with and for you know he he's never been a guy that scrambled but you know he can move the pocket a little bit. He can avoid, you know, a rusher to get a pass off if necessary. Normally he's getting the ball out on time. The the arm strength is still there. The ability to throw the entire route tree is still there. He's not done. He was affected by everyone else around him. It'll be curious to see, though, if he comes back. Obviously, he has a celebrated divorce that he's in the midst of. And um, that that's one to watch. We'll all be watching that. I know when he walked off uh, the field, unlike... Aaron Rodgers, who I think will come back. Aaron Rodgers took a long time to leave Lambeau Field after that loss. I mean, it's like he was soaking it all in. And it's like he looked sentimental wondering, hey, is this my last time leaving Lambeau either as an NFL player or maybe he's thinking maybe I'm going to keep playing, but it may be my last time leaving as a Green Bay Packer. Either way, it was a stark contrast to Tom Brady. Tom Brady, you know, basically did the quick uh, quarterback embrace with Dak Prescott, uh, maybe a couple other handshakes and hugs, uh, a quick tip of the cap as he as he uh, left the field, and that was it. He didn't linger. Now, different personality. I don't know if I'm reading too much into that. But those two guys, same as last year, we will be closely watching. Will they come back? The mantle has certainly uh, been advanced to not necessarily one individual. You know, we talk about Patrick Mahomes. I think he's the best of, of this new group. Certainly, Josh Allen is right there. But... This new group, and you probably have read this on, on the internet or on social media. Do you know the oldest quarterback left in the postseason is 29? That's Dak, Pros, uh, Dak Prescott. Everyone else is in their mid-20s, mid-20s. Even a guy we've been talking about for you know quite a while, the aforementioned Patrick Mahomes, he's in his mid-20s. It's a younger group. And as I discussed a, a week or two ago, it's all about... Being a hell of an athlete. And it just makes sense. It took the NFL a long time. But remember when you were growing up and you played pickup football, you know, after school, lunchtime, whatever the heck it was? Who was the quarterback? Yeah, it was the guy, you know, typically who could throw, but the guy who typically could throw the best, also ran the best, also was the most elusive. He was the best athlete. That's the guy who played quarterback. And the NFL is finally getting around to that. If the ball is in one guy's hand more than anybody else's by far, why not say, hey, who's the best athlete out here? Let's put that guy at quarterback. And that's what you have in the NFL. So guys that just linger in the pocket, they're dinosaurs, man. Tom Brady, we can call him the GOAT. Not no issue with that. Seven Super Bowl championships, for for God's sakes. But but that that ilk of quarterback... That's a dying breed. Even guys like Ben Roethlisberger, you know, I know he's retired, big, strong, sturdy guy and he could stand in the pocket. I'm not saying you don't want a guy that that has the ability to stand tall in the pocket and and move the football from the pocket. But the pressure that guy puts on the defense when he can tuck it down and run, I'm still basking in the Giants' victory in, in Minneapolis over the Vikings. You know, I'm a Giant fan, thrilled to see it. Look at the improvement Daniel Jones has made. Under Brian Dayball and uh, Mike Kafka, that new coaching staff, Daniel Jones went from a guy that didn't get a fifth year, and now the Giants are going to have to, you know, back up the Brinks truck because he's legit, and they ran him seventeen times the other day, and he puts a hell of a lot of pressure on a defense, whether it's designed runs, whether it is zone read, or he tucks it down because everyone's covered. And on third and eight, he runs for nine yards and they move the chains. Uh, so a quick aside. Yes, I'm really excited about the New York Giants. It's been a dark period for the Giants, kind of mirroring what the Broncos have been through, quite frankly. And unfortunately for the Broncos, they're still uh, in a a state of flux. But the Giants clearly have found the right head coach. In Brian Dayball, the right general manager, it appears in Joe Shane, and they're having great success, immediate success, which no one would have predicted. And now they're into the second round of the NFL playoffs. And, and you know, people who know me well um, know I'm a big Giant fan, and you know, some of my buddies back home are also big, you know, Giant fans. Uh, but you know, they call up, and and you know, we share in our uh, glee that the that the the team did well and it, it sports is funny isn't it i'm sure you've been through this where someone will call you up and congratulate you even if they're not a fan of of that team but they know you're a fan of that team and they'll congratulate you. hey congrats on you know your team winning as if like i had something to do with it i sat on my couch and i was riveted to watching the giants and vikings and ultimately the giants win that football game, and I was pumping my fist in the air. Um, But uh, truth be told, I had zero to do with that outcome. So it is always funny when people will congratulate you, but they feel they're happy for you because they know you're happy. So I do, you know, I understand the psychology behind that. It was fun watching all those games uh, last weekend, Uh, the demise of the Dallas Cowboys, uh, everybody burying them, a little bit premature, uh, clearly. But um I look forward to uh, to next week as well. What an epic collapse, by the way, by the Chargers, twenty seven nothing, and you can't close that one out, twenty seven nothing. And Maher, the uh, the kicker for the Cowboys. I mean, everything went right for Dallas except they couldn't make an extra point. It naturally reminded me, and I'm sure many of you, of a pitcher that all of a sudden can't throw strikes and literally can't can't control the ball at all. Daniel Bard famously went through it. He overcame the yips, as it's known in baseball. You know, Steve Blast disease going way back. Rick Ankeel, you know, he was able to become a, a very good outfielder, a power-hitting outfielder. But remember when he all of a sudden was thrown up halfway up the backstop? This kid has been a good kicker, by and large, in his career. Just all of a sudden couldn't make one. I was so thrilled that he made that last extra point and – you know, I don't have a dog in the hunt with the Dallas Cowboys or in the NFC East. I've always rooted against them because of my uh, affection for the Giants. But I felt for him, and I'm glad that Jerry Jones said, no, we're not going to bring in a, a quartet of kickers to to try out on, on Monday uh, afternoon and, and see if we're going to make a move. They're going to stay with him, and I hope uh, that he's able to overcome that. But that was tough to watch, man. That was uh, tough to watch. Four extra points crazy. The Avs, going to talk a little bit about the Avs with with Vic, look like they've righted the ship, at least as uh, we tape this 13 goals in their previous couple of games. Um, uh, I think they realized that they had to pick it up, which again, it's kind of what I said could happen in the first half. It's not just me. Any Anybody that follows hockey understands when a team wins the Stanley Cup, there's a price that's paid into the next season because of the length of that season. Uh, two months of just getting your, your, your ass kicked and kicking ass, obviously, but phys, the physical toll. And I think that was borne out in the first half, in addition to the number of injuries. And clearly, Clearly, they miss Gabriel Landeskog. They miss him on the ice, his presence, his ability to stand in front of the net, take abuse, score goals on a regular basis. Um, but you're talking about one of the great leaders our city has ever seen in professional sports. And that is not an embellishment. That's not hyperbole. One of the great, great leaders in any of the major sports, that Denver, Colorado has seen is Gabriel Landeskog, and when he comes back, that will uh, that will help immensely. Obviously, all right. Uh, Vic Lombardi is a guy that's been in our market uh, forever because he grew up here, man. He's a Northsider, as he likes to say. Went on to Notre Dame, and he's had uh, you know a marvelous broadcasting career, and he made the transition from news to altitude. Uh, several years ago. And just like last week's guest, Chad Brown, Vic's another guy that uh, I enjoy um, shooting the shit with. And there's always a lot to cover um, when we get together. And so without uh, further ado, here is my conversation with Altitude's Vic Lombardi. You know what? I think you and I—I I mean, we've talked obviously um, off-air. I guess is the right way to describe that um, several times uh, since the last time you were on the podcast. But uh, it's been a number of years since you kind of made the transition from from being a you know Monday through Friday sports guy uh, in, with an affiliate and moving into the the host and reporting and so on. It's it still uh, still a, a big win for you, and still something you uh, you enjoy each day.
1: Yeah, it was really funny. the The first year I made the transition in 2016 from, you know, local news is what I did all my life. Going up to that, I was hankering for a change. And that first year, I was like, God, I made a huge mistake. What did I do? You know, I I missed the everyday adrenaline rush of of news and and, and doing all that business. But now, I look back at it. <laughs> like, what was I thinking? <laughs> this is this is awesome. There's just so much more freedom. I mean, not that local news is bad. I mean, it's just it's. It's what I did for the better part of 30 years. So it's just a different different beast now, you know, it, it, to be around games. All you're doing is taking a game and providing whatever happens from that game to the audience. It's all about the game rather than the news. So it's a different beast, and I really, really like it.
0: Yeah, it, it and that industry, speaking of that, you know, news, television has changed so dramatically, especially from a sports standpoint now, I would think, in addition to looking back on the other uh, tentacles to your decision, just the fact that, you know, sports has got a diminished role in the news because of obvious reasons, it's a no-brainer, right?
1: Uh, Twitter sort of changed everything. Um, I, I I knew when, when I was doing the 10 o'clock, 5, 6, and 10 o'clock news group, I came home one day in between newscasts, and I told my son, I said, hey, you gotta watch my newscast tonight. I gotta show you this dunk. And he goes, you mean this dunk? And he showed it to me on his phone. He got it off YouTube. I go, oh, you already saw it? He goes, yeah, that's been out all day. I, like, oh, okay. Well, never mind. <laughs> and that's what <laughs> I yeah, That's changed everything. It's like the timeliness, the, the fact that I'm saving this for the audience at 10. Well, what? Saving what? As soon as it happens, people have access to it. As soon as news breaks in any sport, people have access to that information. They don't need to wait for you anymore. You got to do something else when they wait for you. It's not appointment television like it used to be. That's the biggest difference.
0: Yeah, and and for me, you know, I was always on on kind of this side of it, and going way back, you know, you were always at the arenas when you were doing. Uh, you know, sports on the news and going way back when, when Zapolo was doing it and, and the late Les Shapiro and Steve Harms and, you know, all the guys that you especially grew up watching and I, uh, you know, w- was here. You want to be at the arena. It's about the game. It's about the Avalanche playing, the Nuggets playing, a Broncos game, a, a CU game. And and you just seem at a distance if you're, if you're kind of locked in a studio.
1: Yeah, it's about the game. And the, the other factor that's happened, too, A lot of these big-time athletes, uh, most of the elite athletes, they are their own media entities. You know, like LeBron, Von Miller when he was in town. If Von Miller wanted to announce something, get the news out there, he just went to his Instagram. He went to his Twitter. He went to whatever. And the audience he had there was much larger than any audience we would have in the local business. So they don't need us as much as they used to. It used to be where... The the players needed the media to get their their point across, to get their message. They don't need the media anymore. They are the media.
0: It's a wonderful point because for the first time uh, I can imagine this has ever happened, Deion Sanders did not have a formal press conference after his first signing day. And you know, Vic, that that's a normal operating procedure for every school in the country, really at every level. And they're going to, you know, the head coach late in the day is going to have a press conference. He's going to say, we got bigger, stronger, faster. We love this group. We got coming in, yada, yada, yada. It's really all the same across the board. He didn't even bother doing that. He just takes to his various social media accounts run evidently by his son. And that's it. There was no, you know, Vic Lombardi wasn't firing a question at him. Goodman wasn't up there firing a question at him. We, We don't have that access to him. He doesn't need us.
1: Yeah. And they can dictate the narrative now. The narrative is theirs because it comes from the source. Now, there's good and bad there. The true journalist in you would say, oh, you know, there's nothing objective about that. They can bend the information, bend the message however they please, but it's the reality. Bottom line is, um, Dion, for, for instance, he's made it known, whatever he does at the CU, cameras are going to be involved. Cameras follow his every move. And what, what used to be verboten you know, you never had cameras in the locker room. You never had cameras follow a coach along. Oh, that, that was all secret formula stuff. You never had a camera there. Well, not only does he have cameras, I mean, it's like the Truman Show. He has a camera everywhere he goes. Yeah,
0: uh, it's 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 crazy. And you know, probably a topic for a different day. Where does it where does it leave you know sports people you know going forward? We can talk about moves. You do it every morning on your radio show, and you can kick those things around. I don't see that going away. Uh, But in terms of breaking news or even the need, as you suggested a little while ago, for said athlete or said coach to come on and spend 10 minutes on a radio show, they don't need to do it. Well, again,
1: appointment, the appointment of, of all that stuff. Nobody needs those appointments. The only appointments that remain are the games, Drew. You got to watch the games because they're live, and the DVR only works so much because Twitter tells you what the results are. That's why live sports remains the best product on television, in my opinion, because you got to watch the game and you have to see the results.
0: Yeah, I, I have, you know, said that with my fingers crossed for, you know, fortunately being on that side of it for for a while. But, uh, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. Hey, speaking of live sporting events, and I watched you last night as we taped this, uh, you know, the Nuggets, uh, I think, made it 14 in a row at home. Uh, every night they score you know, 120 plus at home. They had over 103 quarters of play. Before I ask you specifically about this version of the Denver Nuggets, does it and I know how much you love hoops in particular. I know you love to play hoops too. And Does it bother you a little bit that really the level of defensive effort put forth in the NBA may be at an all-time low? It bothers me until
1: I figure out why. Uh, I think the reason is the rules have changed so dramatically, have shifted so much from the, let's say, 80s and 90s to where they are now. You can't touch a player when he's running through the lane. You can't grab a hip. You can't alter where they run, how they run. They'll call a flagrant for a loud burp these days. They're, the rules in place have made it almost impossible to defend a guy without some sort of foul. So if the rules are so difficult to defend, how do we expect them to defend at the same level anymore? You can't. I mean, you tell me. You tell me. I'm, I'm watching. Damian Lillard last night, and he's taking threes with zero regard for anything or anything around him. He'll take a three, wait for the opposition to get to him, then shoot it so he can make contact, and then get a three-point play plus one. And it happens all the time. He's utilizing the rules to the fullest, and the rules are all about the offensive side of the game.
0: Aesthetically, does it bother you?
1: What bothers me more, I guess, uh, listen, the athletes are the best athletes of all time. Um, You can't, you know, generations change, obviously, but today's athletes are ridiculous. They all can shoot. They all can run. They can all do things that perhaps um, 20 years ago only select few could do. What's changed about the game is the three-point shot, and it's turned it into either a three or a dunk, three or a dunk, three or a dunk. Very few teams play mid-range. Very few teams still even tolerate the mid-range. I know a lot of coaches out there cringe when you take a, 17 foot shot off the backboard. That's like what? Oh, you can't do that. Well, what well, good. Does that do? They're all analytics minded. So uh, the three point game is, is is changed everything. They had a three point game in in the 80s, and if somebody attempted, I was looking at Michael Adams, the little uh, uh, the, the little uh, Jet Bud from the, the Nuggets, and if he had a game where he attempted five threes, people would be like, "Whoa, he shot it five times from there." That? Yeah, that's a five threes is nothing. they are guys that. Have, Fifteen threes a game
0: there. I, I think back is it, it's fun to do, and when I was you know heavily involved in the Nuggets and, and Michael Adams, Mock Mood. Can you imagine Mock Mood in today's game?
1: Couldn't touch him. I think I think he would be um, now. Uh, he doesn't he have the deep range that Steph Curry has, but his shot and the, the ability to get it off so quickly, he's the closest thing to Steph Curry in terms of a quick shooting guard. If you gave him Steph Curry's rules and come around picks, because like Steph, you, you remember Mahmoud, he would work around picks. He was tireless, man. He never slowed down, and he would get his shot off in front of anybody. You're exactly right making that comparison.
0: Yeah, he he, he was uncheckable. Okay, you, you've been in this town since you were born. The Nuggets have never as we know, on a championship, and quite frankly, really, you know, with, with maybe one or two exceptions, been in the mix. They are very much, as we chat in the third week of January, in the mix. And, and I'm sure some experts will tell you they may even be the team to beat in what appears to be a somewhat wide open field. Removing your bias, and, and mine as well, is this the year that maybe the best opportunity for the Nuggets to be the last one standing?
1: Certainly the best opportunity. Um, if you're measuring just the opportunity, this is the best Nuggets team I've ever witnessed with my own eyes. Now, I go five decades with the squad. Uh, the 70s, I don't remember distinctly. I was a child, and that was you know, early 70s, the ABA days, when they went to the ABA final. I'm not going to pretend to remember those teams. They were some pretty powerful teams with some great players. But since the decade of the 80s on, I guess, this is the best Nuggets team I've ever seen. It's the deepest team, the deepest roster. And you can't debate what I'm about to say, the best player in Nuggets history. He's the only MVP that's ever worn a Nuggets uniform, and he got it twice. And to be honest, it's going to happen three straight times if he continues at this level. So they've got the best player in the game, by virtue of that. They've got the deepest roster the Nuggets have ever assembled. Their home court advantage is back, um, but they're playing like the 80s Nuggets where when teams come here, you know what they start doing, Drew? They're starting to arrest their star players because they know it's an L. So they figure, why bother? You know, they they, they come to town, they're like, ah, nah, not tonight. Let's, let's not even mess with them. So that is the biggest sign of respect, and that's why I think this Nuggets team, knock on wood, if you give them a chance to get there, they can get over the top.
0: What would be your number one concern, fast forward to, you know, the spring? And I know the physicality has been removed from the game, but we also know through history that more is still allowed in the postseason. So what would be your biggest concern right now?
1: It's exactly that. Are they tough enough? And I know that that's not a knock on them um, personally. When I say tough enough, I, I mean mentally and physically tough enough. The one thing about like the Golden State Warriors, right? They're all flash and dash, but they're tough. There's some tough SOBs on that roster. Starts with Draymond, right? They, they don't take any crap from anybody. The Nuggets need toughness and it's something that when you get to the playoffs, you gotta hate it. You gotta hate your opponent. There's no love lost between anybody. If you want to win it all, hatred has to come into some form and I need to see that first. That's why watching the nuggets now they're pretty it's awesome i got to see it when it really really matters and in the playoffs is when it matters
0: yeah and for me it's great to see cuz they're winning uh but i will tell you i go back to the aesthetics of it and i used to it used to bother me let me give you a little background it used to bother me when i was doing the nuggets and people would go oh, i don't watch the nba nobody plays any defense and i'd be like hold on a second these guys are the best players by far in the world. I'd say, yeah, I love college basketball too. And they're going to be household names in late March um, due to the tournament that you're familiar with. Guys who become household names is a better way to phrase it. And, And then three or four years down the road, you'll go, hey, whatever happened to that guy at NC State or that guy at Michigan State or that guy at Kansas? And you go, yeah, they're in Europe. They weren't good enough to play in the NBA. So it would bother me, Vic... When people say they don't play any defense in the NBA, well, now twenty something years, you know, twenty years since I called my last Nugget game, I look and I go, this looks like a glorified NBA All Star game. I hope it does translate going forward, though, to to what you you know talked about in terms of the toughness. But I but I I do fall back on that. Last night I was like, even when the Nuggets were winning by double digits, Portland they just got one dunk or layup after another.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's that killer instinct, I guess. And we saw it against the Clippers a couple of weeks ago and they played on national TV and the, the Nuggets ended that game in the second quarter. And I'm not saying you have to blow every team out, right? That's just not feasible. You, you know, that's going to lie. You're going to have close games, but the killer instinct thing, even when you go back to the Nuggets and the bubbles and the Nuggets, even before that, in the series and the playoff series of previous year, it seems like every series that they win goes seven games, right? Everything goes to the seventh game, and it's all drama-filled. I want to see them win a series 4-1. I want to see them take that first-round opponent and say, you're not as good as we are, and we're going to end this early. When Chauncey and Carmelo had that team that lost to the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals, that team had that that swagger. They didn't have the talent this team has. This team is more talented. It's deeper, better roster, but they had the swagger. They had a guy like Chauncey who's been there and done that. He had won an NBA title, and he brought some of that swagger. And that's what I need to see. You can't—it's organic too, right, Drew? You can't just. Giannis had to knock on the door a couple of years before he found it. Everybody has to knock on the door. Well, the Nuggets have faced adversity. They've been, you know, they've been there, but they can't get over the top. Let's see if this team is mentally tough enough to break through.
0: And and you said appropriately. Jokic should be the MVP, again, if this continues, he should be the MVP again, and what what will be frustrating, you know, we, we live in the mountain time zone and people say, well, he won it the last two years. That's irrelevant. It's based on what he's doing this year. And you can talk about Luca, uh, John Morant's having a, you know, fabulous year. He's a highlight reel, you know, every night. But the guy who has had the biggest impact on his team, who also happens to be one of the best teams in the NBA, and this is night to night, and they're a different club without him, to me, it is, it's Jokic, it's not, and, and it's, I don't want to say it's not particularly close, but I think he's moved out in front again.
1: Well, I think the one stat that I think voters and fans in general do not give enough credit to and don't take into account, forget points, everybody's in love with points, fascinated by points, everybody loves the triple-double, which is a great stat, and Joker provides a bunch of them but the efficiency with which he scores and plays. Last night, in this particular game against Portland, he had 36 points on 14 shots. All right, I'm going to repeat that. He had 36 points on 14 shots. He was 13 of 14. He missed one shot.
0: It was to beat the buzzer. He He had to force it up, right?
1: Yes, it was a forced three at the end of a shot clock. I mean, how many... If any other superstar in this league shot with that kind of efficiency, people will be gaga over it. One of the things that makes Joker hard to sell on the public is that he doesn't trumpet the fact he's so good. He's not a me guy. He never has been. When he hit that game winner to beat Orlando, it was so funny because it was so Joker, right? He hits it, and the first thing he does, his first instinct is to run back in case Orlando threw a deep pass. His first instinct was to go play defense. It wasn't to... You know, grab his shirt and throw his name up there, or flash some sign to the stands or, or it's all about me, look at me. It's never about him. His teammates rushed onto the court and wanted to give him high fives, and he's like, hey, calm down, calm down, there's still point two on the clock, calm down. And it's just so typical of his personality and so atypical of what the NBA's become an individual sport within a team format.
0: More from Drew and Vic Lombardi from Altitude Sports right after this. Steel Power Tools. They are simply the best. That's S-T-I-H-L. And uh, go to your steel dealer for any sort of assistance on any sort of tool that you think is going to help you in your yard, uh, on your ranch, wherever it may be. That's S-T-I-H-L. There are more than 10,000 steel dealers around the country. So you have one right in your neck of the woods. Uh, SteelUSA.com is where you're going to find all of the tools that you can peruse uh, online and then you can head down to your local dealer. They're the legendary outdoor power equipment and again it's easy to get your hands on the tools you need to build your backyard getaway or just maintain your lawn buy products online at steelusa.com and they'll be ready for you to pick up at your local dealer once again that's steel s-t-i-h-l steelusa.com steeldealers.com got a cup of boyer's coffee going right now love my boyer's coffee Uh, Rocky Mountain Thunder, my choice for today. I told you uh, last week just had a delivery to the house, so I'm uh, stocked up for the next uh, few weeks. You can do the same. I'm a K-Cup guy. Have it delivered right to your home. It's the easiest way to do it. They do have uh, plenty of Boyer's product at your local grocer as well. But if you go to their website, boyerscoffee.com, uh, you'll get to uh, shop all of your not only favorite flavors, uh, but new ones that they have out, and you also see some of the promotions they have going. And there's other neat product also. So, uh, if you're in the gift-giving mood. So that's uh, BoyersCoffee.com. BoyersCoffee.com. Been brewing great coffee in these parts since 1965. Now back to Drew and Vic. All right, the other tenant in the building, the Stanley Cup champion Avalanche. Uh, I kind of thought, and this is not revelatory, that they would struggle the first half. Uh, not struggle, they'd just be... You know, run of the mill, solid, maybe upper middle class first half, um, because, you know, shortened off season, they had significant injuries. And then they kind of get their mojo in in, in mid January, which would have coincided with the return we had thought. Uh, you know, of their captain and Gabriel Landeskog. Landeskog, we know, is going to be out for you know an additional period of time. I know Natchukin has come back. They they finally look like the ABS of last year, scoring as we tape it. Uh, and I know uh, they they played tonight, but they scored thirteen goals in their last uh, two games, both wins, which were much needed. Have they turned that corner in your mind, Vic? You are down there every day.
1: I think the corner will be turned when it has to be. You know, um, hockey remains one of those desperation sports where there's no more dangerous team than a desperate team. You know how that saying goes, yeah. especially in the playoffs. Love that cliche.
0: we got to play desperate yeah. tonight.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I think they sort of know when it's time, and I think now the clock has hit. And they're like, okay, it's time. Let's go. Now, two things were working against the Avalanche going into the season. Number one was the fact that, they sacrifice a lot to win a Stanley Cup. You know hockey better than most, and you don't just sacrifice time. It's not about the season being long. You you literally sacrifice your body. I mean, you you give up. You give up a pound of flesh to win that cup. You feel it, and it sometimes it carries over into the following year. And for the Avs, with the injuries, it has. The reason Gabriel Landeskog is not playing is because he sacrificed his body to finish in the Stanley Cup Finals. The reason Darren Helm has been in and out is because he sacrificed his body. an institution right? He's only played in select games this year. He played on one leg in the finals. You sacrifice everything to hoist the cup, and it costs you sometimes the following year. And that's exactly what we're seeing out of the Avalanche. Now, will they come together in time? We'll see. They're doing it so far. Uh, Gabriel may not be back until the playoffs. And and that's scary. It's a scary proposition knowing that your captain, who they miss tremendously, may not be back until late March, April. Uh, but it's a the chance they took. And if I gave you the deal last year, if I said, hey, will you take the Stanley Cup and perhaps have like 10 guys injured most of the season, everybody would say, of course we would. And that's what's happening.
0: Yeah, you definitely sign up for that. And and you do hope it comes together at the right time. Signs of it, especially offensively, uh, the last couple of games. Moving on to um, the Broncos and the head coach search, something you talk about on a daily basis on your radio show uh, in the morning. Let Let me begin here, Vic. Will you be disappointed in some way, shape, or form if it's not Sean Payton, the sexiest man left uh, on the docket among, for me, a number of intriguing candidates. But let's start with Payton.
1: Um, I think Sean Payton is obviously the leading candidate at this point. And, heck, by the way, the the nature of the coaching search, it could be done by the end of this week for all we know. All I ask for is this, and, and and I don't know if you agree with me because I've heard different. I need somebody who's done it before. I just, we the last three coaches, fine men. Fine coordinators, fine football coaches. But on game day, they would never been there before. they would never managed a game. they would never managed a team on game day. I need someone who won't be new to that. I think that's very important to this team and to where it's been. So whoever it is, if it's not Sean Payton, who I think is obviously the favorite coming in, if Dan Quinn, say what you want, he's been there. He was there when they blew a 28-3 lead in the Super Bowl for Atlanta. But at least he's been there. You have to feel the effects of a game. You have to understand how hard it is to manage a game and manage a team in those circumstances. And if you don't have that checked off your resume, you're basically telling everybody, well, I'm going to need an audition here. I'm going to need a rehearsal for an entire season to get that done.
0: I would agree with you, and I've said this on the podcast, that some of the... Coaches that are really worthy candidates, first-time coaches, Coach Evero for one, who's on their staff right now, uh, in time probably will be wonderful head coaches. But they're all going to be hurt by the failure, if you will, of the of the three predecessors, who, as you suggest, had never been a head coach um, prior. Now, having said that, they're with Peyton, you're going to have to give up something, and it's going to be a number one pick, and. Yeah the Broncos, you know, in the Chubb deal, get a number one pick, but they don't have a lot of draft capital, and they do have significant needs still moving forward. There are other guys that can be leader of men. We know that. And so that's why I kind of hedge my bet a little bit on, is Peyton worth it knowing that you're going to have to give New Orleans uh, something or or a couple of somethings that are pretty significant?
1: Well, I I've got other concerns about Peyton beyond uh, the compensation because the way I look at it, Drew, you just said it. Bradley Chubb is essentially the compensation. You gave up Bradley Chubb, who had his issues in Miami when he went there, and if you told me I'll trade you Bradley Chubb for Sean Payton on a six-year deal, I'll take that all day, any day. Because, you get again, you get a guy who's been there, and I think a coach over six years will have a deeper impact than somebody picked in the late 20s where it's a gamble. It's a gamble. I don't care who you are, what team you are, what – How good you are at scouting these guys, it's always a gamble in the NFL draft. So, give me a coach with some semblance of order uh, who's been there over any player, unless that player is Andrew Luck or somebody of that ilk who you know can't miss. Now, when you're drafting in the high 20s, there's no such thing as can't miss.
0: What are your reservations about Peyton?
1: I guess the reservations come with this. What does he want? What... Is he in this for legacy? Is he, what, what does he want out of this job? Um, I, every coach has ego. Uh, that's part of the – and that doesn't bother me, right? Humans have egos. Every coach has ego. But is he in this uh, to win as many games, do it, you know, hey, look at me, I can coach? Or does he want all personnel decisions? Because some part of me says he does. Why would he take any job unless he has a, a say in who plays? And, you know, he wants an offensive line that suits his style, his system. He wants a running back that suits his system. Why would he go work for a place where he can't make those choices? And when you give up all that authority to the coach, sometimes it's great. Sometimes it it leads you down a road that is a dead end if those choices aren't made correctly. And coaches, (laughs) that's a lot on your plate. Mike Shanahan found out firsthand here. As great a coach as Mike Shanahan was, we all know that. He had a ton on his plate late in his career as the Broncos head coach. Personnel versus coaching, it's hard to do both jobs. You have to have a great confidant along the way to help you do that. And if you don't have that confidant, if you don't have that right-hand man, it's difficult to get there.
0: One of my favorite all-time lines in the NFL about wearing both of those hats goes to a guy that I, from afar, very fond of because he coaches, you know, the the team I've always followed in the New York football giants. Now it's Bill Parcells who famously said, Vic, um, if you're going to ask me to cook the meal, allow me to shop for the groceries.
1: Yep. 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 And, and you know what? I can't blame coaches for thinking that way, especially if they have specific systems that they want to entertain and employ. I don't blame them one bit. So just, I'd be very curious to hear what was, uh, said during the interview with John Payton. And I just wonder if he was interviewing the Broncos more than the other way around. You know, like, what can you give me? What, what responsibility can I take on? And I, I think that, that interview would speak volumes about what they think about him. And perhaps ownership, if, if he went overboard in his ask, maybe ownership says, Hey man, it's still our team, dude. Uh, we'll go elsewhere. So I'm anxious to find out.
0: Yeah, and I think that's uh, a correct appraisal. Just reading between the lines of some of the things he said, I think it was on uh, Colin Coward's radio show, that he wants, number one, for stable ownership and what they're willing to do, uh, etc. I, I think he realizes he will have the pick of his jobs, and therefore he's, not, he, he's interviewing them, not the other way around, ostensibly. Sure.
1: And when he said, listen, I'm looking for that triangle, that perfect triangle, uh, ownership, uh, personnel coach, I think if you read between the lines there, what he's looking for is he's the, he's at the top of that triangle when it comes to running the football operations because he, he would not walk into a job where he's just handed items and said, all right, go, go do your thing. I, he's, he's been around too long. He's he done too much. He, he's not Nathaniel Hackett who is handed a job and said, okay, here's your first opportunity you go on with it. He has the, you know, the resume to, to ask for more. I mean, that's just, that's just life. That's, that's what he can do. And he's going to do it.
0: Yeah. Very quickly. Who second and third choice. The next two guys on the list for you would be,
1: I would go with Dan Quinn second, again, going back to been there and done that. And after Dan, I don't know. I honestly, it's after that, it's, I would have to sit down and look at some of these other guys who have had some head coaching experience, Raheem Morris has had some. I would have to look at guys. You have to have called and managed the game. To me, that is the ultimate requirement. If you cannot check that off your list, then I cannot hire you as a head coach. Again, Everett is brilliant, phenomenal. I have to see you manage a game first. Sorry.
0: Yeah. That's why a kind of sneaky candidate for me is is the aforementioned Raheem Morris. Uh because huh. he because he's been there, he's done that. Players players have on both sides of the ball have uh, great respect for uh how he presents himself uh inside the room, outside the room, and and as I said, on both sides of the ball. Kind of a kind of a subtle, sneaky candidate, if you will, and does have experience, which I, I concur. I said that a few weeks ago. The next guy has to have uh, you know, has to have been there at least in my mind. Vic, you got a new project. It's been in the works for a while. and I think it's really interesting because you know, we all get typecast sometimes, oh, you're a sports guy or, or you're a, you know you're a news guy or you're a weather person. Uh, but but you've had this idea for a new podcast which just launched where as a native son, you are talking to prominent people in the community. Talk, talk about the genesis of this.
1: Yeah, it, yeah. I was approached, uh, Nate Lundy, who I used to work with uh, as the Fan back in the day. He, you know, he's running Mile High Sports, and he, he came up to me last year at the Super Bowl and said, "Hey, would you be interested in doing a podcast?" And I said, "You know, everybody does a podcast. I'm on one right now with Drew. <laughs> everybody does a podcast, and 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 I'm, you know, I, I I talk to sports every morning for three hours. That's my podcast. I don't need to do any more sports." And he says, "No, no, no, not sports related." I go, well, "What do you want to do?" And he talked about Denver. And I said, God, that's a great idea because the the, the passion I have, as, as you well know. Um, I love sports. I love my family. But Denver, the the the, the community that it is, the, the history of this place, the, I hold it so near and dear to my heart. I'm very prideful of where I'm from. And I defend it to a tilt. And I, I've always been interested in how this, this city was shaped and how it's changed. Uh, it's changed immensely over the last 20 years. So I figured, well, let me, I want to interview some of the movers and shakers, some of the people who made the city what it, what it is, and some of the, the people who are, as you said, prominent in this city's landscape. And I love it. I, it's not a sports podcast. It's, it's all just about people and what they do in this city and why they're important and why they love it here and some of them why they moved here, others why they, why they won't leave here. Because a lot of natives, you know, like myself, I, I don't want to live anywhere else. I've always wanted to come back. And, and, and why is that? What is it about Denver that makes it so special? So that that's behind it all.
0: I know you have Mayor, Mayor Hancock on. G- give me a, a, a view of, of the wish list, the guest list that you uh, potentially have upcoming.
1: Well, I'm, I, again, I, I, this is taking different shapes now. As I'm interviewing people, I'm hearing from others saying, well, you should do this about, like, whatever happened to Lakeside. Why does it still exist? So I am basically this not only do a podcast about people, but about things like the great places of Denver and interview somebody that made those places what they are today or wh- why they're no longer here today. But, you know, in the first, fourth, foremost, I've interviewed guys like the mayor. I've interviewed Kathy Sabin, who's been a long time uh, weather anchor, weather person here, who's brilliant in what she does. Uh, Chuck Morse, uh, music legend in, in Denver. I mean... You go back and we talked about some of the some of the acts he's brought into town and Red Rocks and his association with Barry Fay. Uh there are a lot of folks that I want to talk to, but you can go on and on about the makeup of Denver. And I guess I'll use this platform. If anybody has a suggestion, by all means reach out to me and let me know. Because I'm making notes. If you if there's somebody in town historically, if there's somebody that you think would be give me a great story, weave a story. I don't care who it is. It doesn't have to be a name person. Sometimes the best interviews are just regular people who have a stronghold in this community. That's my favorite kind of interview.
0: Yeah, I I think it's a wonderful idea. I'm glad you're doing it. Um, I think uh, it's apropos that uh, you are the one uh, doing it, being, being a native son. I think maybe the only other um, you know, topic that, you know, kind of falls right in your lap would be if you could do a Notre Dame type of uh, show from afar, like the, the, you know, the fighting Irish from the Rocky Mountains and screaming from the top of Pikes Peak. I, I mean, that would have to be you as well.
1: That's always, uh, that's always one of those topics that brings the, the lovers and the haters. You know how Notre Dame, that's, oh, that's yeah. a tough one
0: for me, because if you bring up
1: Notre Dame, half the people hate you. Half the people love you.
0: It, it, it is a polarizing topic, as you know. For the better part of two decades, uh, Hanslick and I were, were next door neighbors, and I. It would give me pleasure to no end if Notre Dame lost or was losing on a Saturday afternoon to uh, you know run by and and you know make a face in his window or, or give him a call.
1: That I mean, that's the definition of a shot in Friday, right there. You're, you're waiting. For his house to burn down—that's is is that what, that's what you're doing. Your neighbor's house to burn down just for the joy of it.
0: Yeah, but you know what? I will tell—I'll tell you this: that I'm a huge Marcus Freeman fan. I love that guy. I don't know him, never met him. Just you know, we 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 kind of glean our you know opinions based on social media and interviews and, and so on. But I'm a big Marcus Freeman fan. So you know what? Uh, the the Golden Domers—they can go win on Saturday afternoon now.
1: Thank you we, We've we won one over we Won about uh, Three
0: billion to go Yeah Yeah You Listen Nobody's going to feel sorry For the Golden Domers You know that <laughs> Yeah Hey Vic o- Always a pleasure man um, Continued success Great success uh, I wish you great success With, with the new endeavor I mean uh, I was hoping you'd get, out get off your ass And do something um, With all of your idle time And fortunately You're going to fill <laughs> some of that up now So uh kudos to you, man.
1: Drew, you're the best. You know how much respect I have for you and what you do. So I appreciate the uh, time and the platform. And again, and uh, anybody who's listening, if you have ideas for my pod, uh, people or places, please reach out to me. You can reach me via Twitter.
0: Awesome. Awesome. I will talk to you soon, my friend. Stay well. Take care, Drew. Big thanks again to Vic. The nuggets, man, they're intriguing. And, and it, it's exciting to watch them, there are some teams that don't do a lot for me in, in, in the NBA that that may win, but the Nuggets do share the ball, and I think basketball, at its prettiest, is when a lot of guys touch the basketball. And the NBA devolves sometimes to, you know, isolation and you know high pick and roll, and just watching one guy play and. I do understand that because these guys are so gifted and so difficult to cover that letting a guy isolate and go one-on-one is really not a bad thing because most of these guys are uncheckable. But the Nuggets do it differently. Not, not saying that you don't see Murray break a guy down or a Michael Porter um, on occasion, but so often, as we know, the offense runs through Nikola Jokic and guys touch it. And you see tap passes and you see, you know, three or four quick passes and a guy wide open. And that, to me, is aesthetically pleasing. It's how the game, um, I don't, I don't want to say it's just meant to be played because there are a lot of ways to score the basketball. Um, but again, it is, I think, more fun to watch that. It's why so many people who like basketball always say, oh, college game's better. You know, everybody touches the basketball. Uh, These are the best basketball players in the world by far. You heard me talking to Vic about that. Um, I I do think that defense is completely out the door, uh, but I'm excited about the prospects for the Nuggets. I mean, this clearly for me, given how talented they are, given that they have the best player in the league, and also the fact that there's not that one team out there like Golden State has been frequently over the last several years that you say, well, they're really, you know, the Nuggets are really good, but they, they're not better than Golden State or they're not better than, you know, the Lakers. Well, there, there is no team out there that you, that you say, man, they, they got to take a backseat to that team. And that's why it's exciting, and that's why it'll be really intriguing to watch in the final few months of the regular season, but most importantly as we embark on the playoffs in the spring that'll do it for this edition of the drew Goodman podcast thanks for always uh thanks always for listening and uh spreading the word um, and um I'm thinking about this man next week we're hunting the end of January into February pitchers and catchers report on February fifteenth yeah. We're going to be talking ball coming up, as in uh, hardball, which uh, is fun. It's it's getting close to that time. Y'all take care. Talk to you in seven days. Stay well.